When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. The title race is well and truly on. Liverpool and Manchester City involved in a sprint to the finish. Those were the words of Reds defender Andy Robertson after his side beat Arsenal 2-0 in the Premier League last night to go a point behind City at the top of the table. The Gunners beaten but still with the top four advantage. North London rivals Spurs though are still in with a shout of Champions League football next season themselves as Harry Kane helped them to beat Brighton. We'll analyse both of last night's top flight games as well as casting an eye over tonight's sole Premier League affair, a destitute Everton welcome a rejuvenated Newcastle to Goodison Park tonight. I'm Niall and this is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with new episodes each and every day of the season. Joining me to run the rule on the midweek action, we've got Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Morning chaps. Morning guys, happy uh, happy St. Patrick's Day to all the, to all the Irish people. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a few Guinnesses sunk. Um, across the country and across the world today indeed in terms of celebrating that but it is Premier League action we're going to get stuck into and before we do tuck into Premier League endeavours on today's show it's worth mentioning that Chelsea did win against Lille in their last 16 second leg tie in the Champions League yesterday the score was 2-1 so that means 4-1 on aggregate and the Blues are through to the quarterfinals plus Leicester they're also up against French opposition tonight in the Europa Conference knockout stages they hold a 2-0 advantage themselves over Red going into tonight's game in France and West Ham United have got a real task on their hands to overhaul a 1-0 deficit against Sevilla who have won that competition more times than anyone else but you can keep your passports in the draw for this episode of Football Social Daily as we'll be focusing on the domestic scene today no doubt the best of the European games will pick apart on tomorrow's show so hit subscribe and you won't miss that but let's begin at what I called yesterday on the podcast the biggest game of the Premier League season so far it certainly felt like that one was the case in terms of the context of the table. Arsenal versus Liverpool at the Emirates. The Gunners looking to solidify their advantage in the race for fourth, whilst LFC had Manchester City in their crosshairs as they attempt to gun down Guardiola at the top of the standings. It finished Arsenal nil, 
Liverpool 2. And in terms of result alone, Marley, huge for Liverpool. As I said before, Andy Robertson said a sprint for the finish and Liverpool are in the race. It's hard to disagree with him, isn't it? Yeah, they're absolutely in the race. Um, I think they were before this game, to be honest. Um, But it's hard to sort of... I mean, you can't really say before the game in case you you get beat and you look like a, a bit of a tit, but... Um, I, th- I thought they're in the race anyway, but they're definitely, you know, right on, right on Man City's backsides now. One point behind. Um, they were they were okay last night. I thought didn't think they were great, but they they were good enough to win the game, and that's that's been Liverpool for the last month or so. Um, and the old cliche goes: the sort of sign of champions is when you you you're winning without playing particularly well. Um, and Liverpool are doing that, so it's it's. Uh, it's one of them where I wasn't really surprised they beat Arsenal, to be honest, because when it's a big game and, and it's like 90 minutes of, you know, this could go wrong, I think that's when you do see the the sort of uh, the mentality of Liverpool like carry them through things. You know, they've won big things in the past, they won the Premier League, they won the Champions League. They know how to win, basically. So I think if, if Liverpool drop points in this title race, I think it'll be to someone that you wouldn't expect um, to beat them. Someone will turn up and, and get a draw somewhere or, or or turn them over somehow with a sort of late goal or whatever. Um, I don't think it'll be in the more obvious banana skins um, outside the, the obvious Man City game in, a, in about a month's time. Arsenal played well in the first half, I thought, and I, it's harsh to blame the goalkeeper because he's been so good, but Ramsdale... <laughs> but we're going to. Yeah, but we're going to. Ramsdale needs to take some responsibility. Poor goalkeeping, in my opinion, to hand Liverpool the lead. What do you think, Joel? Do you think Ramsdale should have done better for Diogo Jota's opener? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the pace of the shot, you have to have a little bit of leniency, but I mean, he had the whole goal covered and still pretty much... You got, you got a hand to it, didn't he? But it seemed to just flap through his hands, but... I know you mentioned earlier in the uh, in the show that you know it was one of the biggest games, but I mean when you look at Arsenal's record against the top four, uh, top six this season, like the typical top six, they've only won one game, and that was against a pretty poor Tottenham side. So for me, it wasn't something of a shock. Uh, they just seem to be very, very consistent against all the teams that they, you would think on paper they would beat. But then when they come up against you know these kind of teams where they actually have real quality that can actually hurt you, it seems as though they just don't have the and they don't have the quality and they just don't have the game plan to actually take them on. So it was. I mean, don't get me wrong. In the game, they definitely had a massive chance to go ahead when uh, Thiago did that pretty strange back pass, and he didn't see Lacazette. Um, I think he should have done probably better with that and credit to Alisson, he did really well to keep that out but I mean apart from that there wasn't that much of a threat um, and Liverpool just showed their quality and their individual quality as well especially when I think when you don't have to keep relying on Mane and Salah to get you the goals and you've got players like Jota to actually bail you out and Firmino who I think everyone including myself has been thinking that he's not He's not really on the the tail end of his career at Liverpool anymore. Then I think you know is a good sign for them. But I mean, with Arsenal, it's just been the same old, same old every single time. And the only difference this season is just that they've been very, very consistent outside of those big games. Yeah, I mean, two goals in six minutes for Liverpool. The first from Jota, which squeezed through Ramsdale, and then Roberto Firmino with that deft flick to make it two. What do we put that down to, Marley? Is that poor from Arsenal to concede twice in such quick succession or is that credit to Liverpool for continuing to apply the pressure and effectively then put the game beyond doubt? Um, I think it's, it's probably a combination of both. I think um, 
Arsenal would probably have been affected by by that goal. You know, they probably thought they were, you know, well in with a chance of getting something from the game when they conceded. Um, so it was probably like a, a bit of a body blow. But you know, I think the the sign of of a young team is is conceding twice quickly. And we've all said sort of Arsenal are, have stripped out the deadwood and the starting again. And I think a lot of this will be. Uh, um, there will be mistakes like this, you know, with uh, a little bit of naivety, a little bit of like, you know, for the, for ten minutes after you concede the goal, just just keep it, you know, try and keep it tight and sort of build yourself back into the game. But but Arsenal were were able to sort of let that first goal affect him a little bit, and I think when when Liverpool got the second, like that's it. I think you're always sort of still in the game at one nil down you can still nick an equalizer at any point you've still got time to do that it might be hard against liverpool but you you might get a chance you might nick something but if you go two nil down against liverpool you, you know you're not getting back into the matches it's, it's as simple as that so um yeah they were just showing a bit of bit of uh naivety and a bit of young young sort of team mentality and that will come with with years of experience and and so will the uh the fact that they have to to, to finish those chances when they get them, you know, Lacazette, um, when he got given the the probably the second best through ball of the night with from Thiago, uh, he should have scored. He should have he should have scored, or or Odegaard should have finished it when he when he got past it. But decent save from Allison. But once those chances go, you you, you just wonder. You're like, you know, are they going to get a better chance than that, or? Are Liverpool going to nick one from somewhere? And that's that's pretty much what happened. I think the big question is, which one of you two have got the feds outside your house? Because all I could hear <laughs> <laughs> was sirens. Is that you, Joe? It's not me, I promise you. It seems to be some fire going on in the distance. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Arsenal, even though they lost last night, they're still in control for the top four, Joel. As a Manchester United fan, I'm not sure whether you would agree with that or not, but they do have games in hand. The defeat doesn't you know, hamper them too much. They're still in pole position for me, but they've still got that tag, as you say, of being unable to do it against the big clubs. And we also suggested yesterday on the podcast that that doesn't matter a great deal as long as they beat the teams uh, who are below them. And at the moment, they've managed to do that well enough to still be fourth with games in hand. So do you think that they still remain in the box seat for that top four finish? I don't I don't think it's all said and done because obviously they've got two games in hand on United. But then when you get to the end of April, they've got Chelsea on the 20th of April away. And then they've got United at home on the 23rd of April. So I think those two fixtures, if the teams below them are still within touching distance, because, I mean, they've got Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, Brighton and Southampton as their next games. And I would probably bank a lot on the fact that they'll probably get at least 10 points out of the 12 in those games. Um, So when it comes to, you know, the bigger ones, I think... For me, I don't think United have got a chance just because, you know, the season's pretty much over now. They've just been dumped out of Europe. There's no FA Cup. Uh, the team looks too, so com- like completely disconnected. So I just don't really have that much hope that we can get any consistency. But with Arsenal, um, they seem to me to be the best equipped just because they're just picking up points in games where every other team around them are just dropping points constantly. So if they can get past that Chelsea and United game and they're still within touching distance then I would probably say is theirs to lose to be honest but I mean like we say those two games in hand it's not a given that they're going to end up winning you can't really count the points up because as we've seen they got taken apart by Liverpool within the space of six minutes and they've only taken points off Spurs this season so it's definitely not done but they're definitely best equipped to actually do it 
Talking of something being theirs to lose, what about Liverpool? Because they're right on City's tail and it feels like this is still Manchester City's title to lose, Marley, don't you think? Yeah, yeah it, it, it is because they're, they're a point ahead. Um, so quite literally, yes, it, it is. And they're the holders. So um, it's it's double, a sort of double uh, edge sword there with, you know, they're the ones to beat, both in terms of knocking them off the perch at the top of the the table this season and wrestling it back from from Manchester across the M62 to towards Liverpool so I'd still I'd still rather be in um in Man City's position um I'd rather have a point um cushion rather than chasing a point uh, at the top of the table but I think it's all I think it's all going to come down to that game in April I think um you know that'll put Liverpool two points ahead or Man City four points ahead. So I think we're just counting down the days. I think it's 47 days from now or something like that. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a, a, a huge game that and uh, we'll probably decide the title. Well, Arsenal nil, Liverpool 2, a final score at the Emirates Stadium last night. It did have that big game feeling to it. I really enjoyed the first half and uh, I fell asleep at half-time and missed the goals and I woke up in the second half. (laughs) I say that I enjoyed it, but I ended up having a little kip. Um, We'll talk about the other game in a second, Brighton nil, Spurs 2. We'll also be talking about a huge game tonight in the Premier League. The only one on offer is Everton. Welcome Newcastle United to Goodison Park. We'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is FSD, Football Social Daily, your only daily Premier League podcast. No other podcast produces a brand new episode on top flight English football every single day of the season. So you are in a unique place when it comes to keeping right up to date with all of the latest in the Premier League. If you don't want to miss an episode, the best thing to do is hit subscribe and that way you'll be notified as soon as a new episode is ready. On a Friday on Football Social Daily, we release an episode called The Dugout, which features former Premier League professionals. We'll be looking ahead to the weekend's action. And joining me on the show this week, former Leicester players Dean Hammond and Matty Fryatt. So make sure you join us for that one. Time now to talk about Brighton nil Spurs 2. Final score in the Premier League last night. Tottenham keeping their top four hopes alive. With Arsenal losing, Joel, it was pretty much the ideal night for Spurs, wasn't it? Yeah, um, but it's just been very topsy turvy for Tottenham in terms of their results. I mean, they lose one, they draw, uh, they win one, they lose one, they win one. It just, 
they just can't seem to get a foothold in terms of their fixtures. But I mean, they're on 48 points now. They're still three points behind Arsenal, but of course, Arsenal still have a game in hand. So they're still within a shout. But I mean, it wasn't long ago that they had, I think, was it around three games in hand and they've literally just capitulated past that point. Uh, they could have been well in the driving seat just behind Chelsea if things all went to plan. But I mean, it just seems as though every single team battling for the top four at the moment just can't seem to get any kind of foothold on it, apart from Arsenal, really. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a massive win and also a massive um, moment for Harry Kane as well to continue getting his goals because I think it was only like two months ago that he had one or two Premier League goals and now suddenly he's really gone his way up in the table. So it's it's a massive um, result. Obviously, Brighton aren't in the best of form. They got five successive defeats. They look a total shadow of their selves from last season. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised as well if majority of their key players start looking at moves in the summer. But like I say, it's just it's just so tightly congested and tightly contested for that fourth spot. And it's purely going to be who, who can get the best consistency in these final nine games to go. Um, but yeah, Tottenham, I mean, I just can't tell with them if they're genuinely going to be there or not because to, the next game, they'll probably end up losing it and then the next game, they'll end up winning it. So you just can't predict how they're going to do it. Um, and I think Conte is just absolutely stressed with the fact that his team just can't seem to get any foothold into the, into the top four. So it'll be interesting to see, but I just don't see how they mount a real contention for the top four at the moment well it started with harry kane missing an open goal for tottenham and some might have thought that that could have been a, a sign of things to come for spurs but wasn't the case and later on marley kane did eventually score to become the player with the most away goals in premier league history um he's a hell of a player isn't he he is yeah um i'm sure that's the the record he wanted as growing up as a kid most away goals in the premier league <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay then. Um, Will he break Shearer's goal record then? Because he's I'm gone past Henri and he's gone past Lampard in the last two weeks. No. So he's obviously going to pass Aguero, who's next in his sights. I think he'll probably pass Andy Cole. I don't think that anyone will bet against him reaching 200. Whether he gets past Rooney's tally of, I think, 208 is also very possible. Shearer's way out, though, on 260. You sound a little bit nervous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah, because I mean he has he's got a it's probably fifty fifty, isn't it? It's probably well in fact it's probably in terms of chances I'd say it's probably like forty forty sixty in favour of, of Kane breaking it. Um but that's that's the future. Um and as soon as he does I'll come on here and say, Well, what about the goals uh Shearer scored in the old division one, which was technically the top flight at the time and he got another eighteen I think in there, so if if Kane ends up on two sixty one and he retires, I'd be like, Well, He's not really the top uh, top scorer because it's always going to be Shearer. Unless, of course, Newcastle sign Harry Kane in the next two years uh, and he breaks it in a black and white shirt, in which case he deserves it and all Newcastle players will win <laughs> the Premier League all-time top scorer record. Um, but yeah, I mean, last night he was he was quality again. I think he's really hit his, hit his stride in, in Conte's team now. Um if you sort of look at how he's playing, he's, he's creating, um, he's creating plenty, he's scoring goals, he's the main man again. He seems to have got his his mojo back type of thing. Um, I think for the first half of the season, especially, he was th- this whole thing with the field move in the summer and wanting to leave quite publicly 
was was hanging over him probably, and the fact that Spurs then sacked a manager and got another one in, and you know seemed to be just going round in circles. Um, that that would obviously have an effect on a player. So I think now three or four months into Conte's reign, we're seeing the best of him, um, and he he was quality again last night. I think um, he should have had a couple, but um, missed the missed the open goal bizarrely. But I don't know what Robert Sanchez was doing. If well for that goal, well for the whole game to be fair, I've I've never really understood why Robert Sanchez was won that race with Matt Ryan um, at Brighton a couple like last season because I never thought Matt Ryan was that bad, but Robert Sanchez is like he's average at best. He's not he's not amazing. Um, and I thought so he he summed that up last night. He, the the back pass was uh, sorry the the. Open goal that Kane ended up dragging across the face was was should never have been a chance. But Sanchez just stood there with the ball as if to say, "Well, you're not going to get it off me." And Kicked just, it straight against him. Yeah, just passed it to him, and you could see it coming. You could see like there's closing down goalkeepers, and then there's actually thinking you got a chance. There's there's a difference in in when players are chasing goalkeepers, and this one was, you know, you could see it coming a mile off. The way Kane was running and the the nonchalance of of Robert Sanchez, it was just like you. Don't mess this up, because you know it. It looks like you're gonna mess it up, and then oh, oh, he's messed it up. Sorry. All right, okay. Uh, and he should have been punished for that. But I thought even in the second half, for, for Kane's goal that he that he did score, you know Sanchez just stands there, doesn't make himself big, and gets beat at his near post. And I just think, you know, uh, are you are you that good? Because Brighton seem to be a lot of nice nice technical little players, and no like cutting edge or no no sort of fight um, and I think they're, they're too easy to beat they give I mean, it's, it could have been three or four for Spurs last night um, and probably should have been but yeah uh, as but as for Kane he was brilliant again and yeah long may it continue unless uh, unless he gets close to that 260 <laughs> well let's talk about Brighton then Joel they've now lost six games in a row when does Graham Potter start to panic? He doesn't seem like the sort of guy that would panic, to be fair to him. He does have quite a composed demeanour, both in press conferences and on the touchline. But after such a good start to the season, and still the possibility of them finishing in the top half, which would be their best ever Premier League return at the end of a season, um, to lose six in a row would, would really damage those possibilities. So he's obviously going to be concerned. Yeah, I mean, the last time they won was at the start of January, so of course... He must be looking at his squad and thinking, "What? Well, where?" They seem to prior to um, this pretty poor run of form. They seem to rely on a lot on those last minute goals from you know Mope and um, getting like a smash and grab at different grounds. And now it just seems as though they've dried up a little bit. Um, but in terms of understanding what's you know a success and a failure, I don't know how you kind of determine that for a side like Brighton because they're definitely not going to go down. They're definitely not going to get the European places this season. So it's kind of a case of just managing their expectation. And I just don't really understand where it is they are at the moment. Because 13th is not a bad position considering, what, three years ago, they'd only just been promoted to the Premier League. Um, so it's still a work in progress. I don't, You can't expect them to be challenging, you know, for the top six, top seven overnight. It's going to take a long time to do that. Um, you know, obviously, like when you look at Wolves, for example, I don't think their squads are miles away in difference in terms of quality. Obviously, Wolves is, is is slightly better, but I don't see Brighton's being a million miles away. But the only struggle that they have now is the fact that probably in the summer, 
the likes of Yves Bissouma is probably going to be going, and he's been one of their best players. You've got Lamptey at right back. He's probably going to end up getting poached by one of the better clubs, and then suddenly you've got to do an, another rebuild again. Um, and as we've said in many different podcasts as well, with these kind of sides, whenever you've got a really good crop of players like this for a side like Brighton, you have to strike while the iron's hot because otherwise in the next summer, if you do well and you don't actually achieve much, then the whole team just seemingly gets dismantled, as we'll probably maybe see with West Ham, for example, and Wolves. Um, but yeah, it, it just depends on what you constitute as success. And for me, it's, it's, it's a decent season. Obviously, it's not as good as last season where they were really impressive in terms of the football as well. Um, but I just I feel as though in the summer they probably need a striker and just someone who can actually put the ball in the net uh, because after relying on Laupe, um, Malpe's uh, goals in the last minutes, once they dry up, there's not really been much else. And they've had to rely on a over the hill Danny Welbeck to try and get them out of games, which you know is a bit it's a bit of a weird uh, way to do it. So yeah, I think it's it's strange, and I wonder if his head's going to be turned in the summer for one of the one of the other clubs because as we've seen, obviously he signed a massive what was it seven year contract at Brighton. They've got a lot of trust in him. Um, but you know maybe he's going to be looking to step higher potentially Leicester if Rodgers vacates it uh, I don't know but I mean yeah, it's hard to gauge what kind of direction you want to go in as Brighton Back to Spurs then West Ham they've got at the weekend not only is that a huge London derby in its own right but the game becomes even bigger Marley because in the context of the top four race Tottenham need to keep winning to try and catch Arsenal and as for West Ham they've got obviously a massive game tonight in the Europa League they're 1-0 down to Sevilla which we won't discuss on today's show but that will be at the focus of David Moy's mind at the moment before this game with Tottenham at the weekend so it's all to play for in that race for Champions League yeah it's uh it's a, it's a massive game that in it 48 points each they're on sixth and sixth and seventh in the league um Spurs have still got a game in hand so you know uh, it gets rid of that game in hand if they lose to West Ham at the weekend. So, um, yeah, that's that's huge for them. Um, and if you know if they catch West Ham, I mean, and they win the game in hand, they're fifth and they're actually joint fourth. Um, well, if, unless Arsenal win their games in hand as well, but I think one of their games in hand is against Chelsea. So, I mean, even the top four is not completely gone for either West Ham or Tottenham, but specifically Tottenham because they've got that extra game on them. So, um. As in true Spurs fashion, when you just think they're out of it, they sort of come back around, um, and they have sort of found a, a, a tiny bit of consistency so far in the last couple of weeks. You know, beating, beating Everton, um, beating Brighton. You know, doing all right against against Man United. It wasn't exactly, you know, a thumping defeat or anything like that. But if they could just find a little bit of consistency and put three or four games unbeaten together. You know they could they could easily finish in the Europa League next season, which would be decent for them, um, and you know possibly depending on what Arsenal do, if they if they can close that gap in Arsenal, and if, if they can make their their sort of nerve go towards the end of the season. We talked about a young team; they don't know really what they're doing yet. Arsenal, they don't know how to finish fourth. They haven't done it for years, and can this young team do it? Can you? Can you pressure them and, and make them falter at the end? That's what Spurs have got to do and that's what Conte will be trying to instil into the team, I think. Yeah, certainly Antonio Conte on the touchline in a derby match against West Ham. I'm excited to see that. 
uh, this weekend in the Premier League. That'll be one of the games we talk about on the dugout, which will be out on Friday night. Matty Fry and Dean Hammond will be joining me. But after this, we're going to talk about the sole game this evening in the Premier League. Everton versus Newcastle United, a game which a month or so ago would have been massive at the bottom of the table for both clubs. Now, only for one of them. We'll talk about it next after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to luckylandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome back. I'm Niall. I've got Joel and Marley with me. And Everton versus Newcastle takes place in the Premier League tonight. A few weeks ago, this game would have been huge in the relegation battle. But now it feels a far bigger game for one club than the other. I would say Everton in that respect. This game is much bigger for them than Newcastle. Would you agree with that, Marley? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, if you've only got a, look at the, a quick look at the table. Um, and there, you know, Everton are... Uh, 18th, sorry, joint 18th with um, with Watford, only out of the goal di- uh, relegation zone on goal difference, uh, only one point above 19th place Burnley, and four points adrift of Leeds, um, having played three fewer games. So, if this if they lose this game tonight to Newcastle, you know they're four points adrift, um, with only two games less than Leeds, um, having played one more than, um, sorry, the same amount as Burnley after tonight. Um, so the chances are running out for Everton. They have to be, they have to get something from somewhere. Um, and I think the next two games, we said, I think we said last week, didn't we, that the next two games were, were Wolves and Newcastle, and they were both at home. And you have to win at least one of them, you have to take four points, and they blew it against Wolves at the weekend um, and conceded that goal from, from Connor Cody, of all people, bloody lifetime, lifelong scouser, lifelong red in the uh, in the in the Merseyside uh, area. Um, and then they've got us tonight, so they've got to beat us, basically. But the the recent record against us is, is poor. Um, I think they haven't won in, I think, four games against us now. Um, Newcastle have won three of them. They were... They were 2-0 up in 2020 um, against us after 93 minutes and, and Florian Lejeune scored twice to make it 2-2 after 95 minutes. So they've got like a um, a mental thing there that, that they've got to overcome as well. So it's um, it's it's a big test for Everton because you know they're, they're not playing particularly well. They haven't got a great record against us. They've got a few injuries here and there. Calvert-Lewin might not be playing. Jordan Pickford loses his head every time he plays us. Cannot keep cannot keep Newcastle out of his head and, and put a decent performance in, um, and they need to get something from somewhere. And you're looking at the the upcoming fixtures and saying, well, if you don't beat Newcastle, who are you going to beat in the next few weeks? Yeah, I think it's testament to how far Newcastle have come as well that Eddie Howe's managed to get them away from the relegation zone to such an extent that this match doesn't really mean as much as it probably would have done even two or three weeks ago. So I think that's credit to him and Newcastle United. But let's focus on Everton still, Joel. Frank Lampard, he's obviously gone in there and known exactly 
how difficult the job is that he's taken on. But many pundits recently, including Jamie Carragher, who played for Liverpool for hundreds of games in the Premier League, won the Champions League there, but was a boyhood Evertonian as things turn out. He said on Sky Sports recently that the players have been disgraceful. Those were his words. They have been dreadful all season. There's no doubt about it. Even those players that have come in um, on loan in January, including the likes of Donny van der Beek, of course, they haven't really shown anything to suggest that Everton have improved at all. So Frank Lampard is somewhat devoid of blame at the moment. At least the majority of the portion of the blame isn't going towards the manager. Do you think that's fair? Do you think the players do need to take responsibility? Because both Benitez and Lampard, we've not seen enough from them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's been the same under two different managers now. So you kind of have to point fingers a little bit easier at the players. And I think in the situation they're in right now, it's just testament to how bad the recruitment's been over the last two years. It's like it's all coming back and just hit them in the face at the wrong part of the season. Um, where And we've discussed it a lot. Obviously, Marcel Brands left not long ago, and he was the, the main figurehead in recruiting pretty much the majority of all these players, and they've just been overpaid, uh, under quality, completely not the right players for Everton in the way they want to play and the way that their fans expect them to play as well. They're just total opposite. Um and honestly, I'm quite shocked that Everton are in this position as well because I do wonder sometimes if they would have been a little bit better equipped had Rafa Benitez still been there. Obviously, it seemed like a bit of a toxic environment towards the end. Obviously, we saw like uh, Luca Dean leaving purely based on the fact that they didn't get along with each other. Um, and with Lampard, it looked like he was going to get off to the flying start. I think he won 4-1 in his first game and then suddenly he's just falling straight in front of him again. And it's strange because even though the recruitment has been bad, they have got a very good, high-quality side. You know, Richarlison's a very, very good player. Calvert-Lewin was one of the top scorers last season. And then they've signed a bunch of players like Donny van der Beek. I mean, the, the jury's still out with him a little bit, I think. But they've still got a very high-quality side and I don't think they should be in this position. So... I mean, like Marley said, I think these next three games, they really have to take the chance because having three games in hand on teams around you in, in a in a situation like that, once those games go, and it's not a given they're going to win any of those games right now, it doesn't look, even look like they're going to get a point against any of those games. Um, they're going to find themselves in a very tough position because as if, when you start to look below them, you've got Bur uh, Burnley who've got two games in hand as well and they probably look way more likely to actually take some points. Well, so they, they play Burnley um, in about two weeks' time, Joel. So that, that could oh, be yeah, 6th of April, that that's huge. a massive... Yeah, that's a massive game, that. And then obviously in between, they've got the uh, FA Cup quarterfinals, which could hopefully lift the spirits for them a little bit but I mean in between then you know you've obviously got Newcastle I think if Newcastle win that game they're home and dry then they can start looking up a little bit more I think it's between those two if I'm honest but then again I mean Watford seem to pull out results out of the bag in random situations so yeah Lampard's next three games I think are absolutely massive and I think if he doesn't take anything from them I I would worry for Everton massively um because they just don't look like a side who have got anything left in them in, in comparison to you know Burnley or Watford. I would favour the other two over them at the moment. Well, I think if Burnley or Watford got relegated to the Championship, I think they'd be able to regroup and rebuild. If Everton got relegated to the Championship... Oh, oh, Everton would get decimated, wouldn't they? It would be 
like nothing we've seen. I mean, Aston Villa, it took them long enough to get back up to the Premier League. And that was a shock when they got relegated, a club the size of Aston Villa. But Everton going down would be equally a, a shocking with a new stadium on the way. How long have Everton been in the Premier League for, uh, since? Uh, well, they've been in the Premier League since the start. Oh, wow. Forever, yeah. So, I mean, for them to go down would be remarkable. But I just think in terms of the new stadium that's on the way, the investment in the club, which is currently up in the air because of Mr. Usmanov, who is a Russian businessman, the partnership that Everton have with his businesses has been suspended. And that's a large amount of cash which is therefore kind of not gone missing, but up in the air at the moment. I think that there are so many questions over the future uh, of Everton Football Club when it comes to possible relegation. Um, it's it's almost unthinkable for them. But as we know in the Premier League, the unthinkable things can happen. And speaking of stadiums, Goodison Park, we've said this on the podcast for a number of weeks now, has to be the differential for them, Marley, doesn't it? It's massive for them to have most of their remaining goal games that Joel speaks of at Goodison Park, at home. Now, you'll know that if a home crowd gets behind a side, it can make a huge difference. And even though Everton's backs are against the wall, they have to keep believing and they have to turn Goodison Park into the difference for themselves because their away record has been shocking. Their home record has to come good because if they don't, they'll be down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the biggest thing about that is is right now the atmosphere at Goodison Park is toxic. It is not good right now. Um, so you say like you know it has to be the difference, and it absolutely does. But also it can hinder you. It can hinder you massively if if your crowd, if your crowd are booing you. I mean there was there was a viral clip going around this week, and I, I can barely repeat any of the words that were on it. But it was it was words to the to the you know the negative effect of of Everton's players when they were going off the field against Wolves, um, saying all kinds of stuff to the players like you're not fit to wear the shirt and you know get out of our sight basically in, in a lot stronger terms um, and I wonder about that you know because I think Everton have underachieved for so many years that you know they've expected more success from from the outlay they've put down you know it's half a billion quid since um, since uh, Usmanov and uh, and Mashiri have started you know splashing the cash a little bit um, you know the new stadium on the way and still no success off the back of it and I was looking I remember remember last season when Ancelotti was there and Everton's away record was was fantastic. Um I think they lost two games away from home going into the sort of final five or six games of the season. I remember looking at it and and working out that if Everton's home form had been as good as their away form, they'd have been second in the league um last season come like going into the last five or six games of the season. That's how good they can be. Um but that was that was with no crowds, and I just thought with with crowds not being there, it took the pressure off Everton a little bit. And now you see them at home getting booed, and everything's a you know, uh, you know, doom and gloom around the club. And I just think it will that hinder them as well because Newcastle will. What's take... it going to take tonight though against Newcastle? Is it going to take a, a, a meaty challenge in the first five minutes, scoring the first goal? Because if Newcastle score first or get on the ball in the first twenty minutes of the game and start passing rings around Everton, yeah, the fans are going to get frustrated at Goodison Park. And you talk about it being a toxic atmosphere. The only way to reverse that is to take the game to your opposition. And Lampard has tried that with trying to. Play a, a bit more of a pressing style than Benitez to try and get after opponents, 
But Newcastle arrived there in good form, in good confidence. They were unlucky to lose to Chelsea at the weekend in the Premier League. So is it going to take something like that? Is it going to take Richarlison to go steaming in on Dan Byrne or something in the first 10 minutes to, <laughs> to get the crowd up and an early goal? It, it, they just need a lift, don't they? They need something to cling on to. They need, they need a nice, easy game. They need Boreham Wood at home again to, to turn up and they can have 70, 80% possession and, and win easily. But that simply isn't going to happen in the Premier League. And it certainly isn't going to happen against Newcastle tonight. You know, we're we're flying at the minute. We should have beat Chelsea. Well, we should have got something against Chelsea at the weekend at least. Um, you know, nine unbeaten before that. Uh, we come into this game having lost one game since since just before Christmas. So it's not going to be easy. Um, there'll be at least three and a half thousand Geordies there making it even more sort of toxic. You know, if, if Everton go, you know, don't score in the first... 20 minutes you know the crowd will go a little bit flatter as it normally does the away end will not it simply will not um there'll be loads and loads of Newcastle fans having the time of their lives because they've got their club back and they can go and support them um and actually identify with the team now so they'll be they'll be buzzing they'll be pushing Newcastle on the the squad will be confident um we're getting a couple of players back from injury Everton have got a couple of players out through injury. Calvert-Lewin might not play. He was in court yesterday um, on, a, on a driving, speeding, uh, speeding offence thing. Go on, go on, say it, say it. <laughs> what? Calvert-Lewin's three points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, the only, it's the only points they've had in uh, since Christmas, isn't it? So, <laughs> there we go. go. Um, it was there for it. Yeah. I mean, who, win, who wins tonight? Obviously, Marley, you're going to say Newcastle. So we I'll, win. I'll ask Joel. Well, I mean... I, I agree with both of you. I feel like if the if the twelfth man, which is the crowd, don't turn up for them, it's going to be a really really long night. But I know we're all very doom and gloom about Everton, but you know three points literally takes so much of the pressure off them if they can if they can get three points. Um, I would probably go for a draw tonight. I just it's tricky. You just don't know what Everton's going to turn up, and on the back of four defeats in a row, it's not looking likely that they're going to get a result anytime soon. Huge game, Everton versus Newcastle at Goodison Park. Will Everton be able to drag themselves out of trouble temporarily? We'll wait and see. We'll have reaction to that, as I say, on tomorrow's episode of the podcast. But for today, that is it. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Marley. And we'll catch you again tomorrow on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to luckylandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.